Speak to us your truth. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Grace, and worship team. A lot of energy here this morning. Our God is healer, awesome in power. What a privilege it is to bring a message this morning on that subject. Uh, yes, I'm Jim Barclay, and I am an elder uh, here at Harvest, and it's my privilege to stand in this morning for Pastor uh, Matt Garino, who is away, away in the Wind River Mountain Range in Wyoming, fishing. Oh no, I'm, I'm quite happy for Matt. Really. Majestic mountains, awesome, beautiful, many lakes and streams teeming with fish, large fish. But I'm happy Matt's there, along with Chris and the other guys. I may need some healing. <laughs> Covetous heart, you know. Uh, but confession is good for the soul, I'm told. I'm sorry I don't have um, an outline here this morning, um, as is commonly done. But let me give you a, 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 a basic framework for uh, the talk this morning. Three sections, the first section being true healing, comes from God alone. Uh, the second section, uh, the grace of healing. And the third section, assurance of healing. We'll be talking about those uh, three sections. It's always good to start with the definition of terms. Now, I'm sure we all have an idea in our minds about what healing is. But here's a working definition for us to hold in mind as we proceed through the talk. It's a setting right that which has been broken. Um, restoring to health that which is sick or mending a broken relationship. Yet there's another way to think about healing that's broader and deeper. Some time ago, Matt taught us about the meaning of the Hebrew word shalom. And it's often thought that this is a word for peace. And it is that, but it means much more. In Hebrew, shalom means flourishing, wholeness, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs where all needs are satisfied, all gifts and talents are used fully, and all of God's creatures in whom he delights are welcome to him, and they delight in his presence. Shalom is the way things ought to be. And this is the kind of healing, bringing shalom, that Jehovah Rapha provides. The Lord, your healer. Jehovah Rapha. Well, our scripture for today, from Exodus chapter 15, um, needs a backstory for us to appreciate what's going on um, you probably caught the reference to the Red Sea, so right of way you uh, have an idea that perhaps uh, this is just uh, after the 
Israel has escaped from Egypt, and you'd be right about that. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Um, and in Genesis, that's the first book of the Bible. And right away you're impressed with the breadth of my biblical knowledge. Um, <laughs> In Genesis, it starts out with the story of uh, God creating the world, and it's very good. But it was spoiled. It was cursed by the rebellion of, um, and sin of uh, Adam and Eve. And uh, so it was under a curse. But there's a hint that God has a plan to overcome the curse through Eve's offspring. Well, mankind uh, progresses, increases, that is, and eventually uh, God sets apart a man, uh, Abraham, through all nations, through whom all nations are to be blessed, through him and his offspring. And this uh, gives hope that God's plan for overcoming the curse would eventually be accomplished. And Genesis then closes with God telling Abraham's grandson, Jacob, later to be named Israel, uh, to take his 12 sons from Canaan, where they had settled, down to Egypt, where he's going to make a great nation of them. And more than that, he's going to bring them back one day to Canaan, the land of promise. Exodus, the book of Exodus then, is the story of the Lord's fulfillment of that promise to bring Israel back from Egypt. The Bible passage for the, day, for the day contains one of the earliest references to God as healer, Jehovah Rapha. And at this point, of course, Israel is a brand new nation. They've grown in Egypt from a single family to a multitude over a period of some 430 years. So you're familiar with the story. At first, Israel, when they were in Egypt, was treated very well by the ruler, but eventually, later rulers became concerned that they had grown to such numbers that they might become a threat, and so they were enslaved, made to labor, uh, and they were under bondage there in Egypt. And so, eventually, God raises up the man Moses to lead this people out of Egypt and bondage back to the promised land. And Pharaoh was reluctant, of course, to let them go, as we know, and God had to persuade them. He brought upon them a series of ten supernatural plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh was convinced, but even after agreeing to release them, Pharaoh changed his mind and sent his army in pursuit as they were leaving. And just as the army was about to descend on them, of course, the Red Sea parts and the Israelites uh, passed through the army pursues and is wiped out by the Red Sea. God provided a miraculous escape. Having escaped e Egypt then, Moses and the people of Israel sing a song, rejoicing and triumph. And it summarized in the midst of this rather lengthy song, it says, Who is like you, O Lord? among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? These people are pumped up, and rightly so. They've seen a series of miraculous 
plagues and this miraculous saving of them through the Red Sea experience, and now they're on the other side, and here we come to the passage for today. It's immediately following all of this, and Moses leads the people three days out into the wilderness, but along the way, they found no water. And when they arrive at this place called Mara, they find some water, but it's bitter. It's undrinkable, maybe even poisonous. So what do they do? They complain bitterly to Moses, blaming him for their predicament. But of course, they're also blaming God, who it was that gave Moses the directions, taking them to this situation that they're now in. Thirsty, desperate, uncomfortable, at the very least, they complain. Their faith, their trust in God isn't so strong. But as understandable as that might be, um, it's, a, it's a sign of their unbelief and their hard-heartedness toward God, unwilling to trust him. But it's a kind of a wonder, too, isn't it? I mean, just before that, the Lord God had brought these supernatural judgments and he'd rescued them. And couldn't they trust him to take care of this bitter water? Well, of course, as we read, that's what happens. Moses, he exercised faith in the Lord. He asked for relief, and God provides it. He directs Moses to heave a, a log, well, some of the translations uh, call it a tree, into the water. And lo and behold, it becomes sweet. It's drinkable. Their situation is cured. It's healed. Commentators differ on the role of the tree. Some believe that it had healing properties known only to God himself. He gave those properties to the tree, and he told Moses what to do with it, Moses not knowing it in advance, and so that cured the water or healed the water. But other commentators see the tree as more symbolic uh, and that God himself acted directly on the water, making it sweet. In symbolic terms, some commentators uh, see the uh, tree as typical of the cross of Christ, which sweetens the bitter waters of the trials and tribulations of the faithful, enabling them to rejoice in the midst of life's afflictions. But in each of these perspectives, it's important to recognize that it was God himself that was behind the healing of the water. Well, then we come to the section of the passage that I like to call <clears throat> the Lord's Health Class. Remember health class in high school? At least I do. It's uh, kind of a dark spot. In the... <laughs> More of a blank spot, I think. But the Lord gives them a health class. He tells them how to stay healthy and to avoid trouble going forward. And it's in the form of this statute and rule. He says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. God's prescription, as it were, can be described by one word, 
obedience. That's all they have to do to maintain health and stay out of trouble. Well, verse 26 at the end of this passage for today closes with the statement, finally, I am the Lord your healer. Well, there's a clear connection between obedience and healing, isn't there? The great physician knows that Israel will surely fail to follow his prescription, and there are going to be consequences. And that's going to require restoration, healing. He anticipates that the nation will repeatedly encounter the bitter waters of life on their journey through the wilderness back to the promised land. It's going to take 40 years. Of course, that's not known to them at this point. And they're being prone to wander in unbelief and disobedience. And he wants them to remember in those times that he is the Lord who heals. Well, then we come to the grace of healing. These people are still under the curse, and so are we. And God is not obligated to heal anyone, is he? And when he does, it's undeserved. It's by grace. Like Israel, when we encounter the bitter waters, we want healing. To be free of the effects of the curse, the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Remember, God said to Eve that she would suffer pain in childbearing, and to Adam, he said that the very ground would be cursed and life would be toil and pain. I think we're abundantly aware today that this curse remains in effect and that all creation still groans because of it. That's what the Bible says. So we yearn for a world free of sickness, abuse, depression, loneliness, war, and worry. Compared to the garden, we realize that the world today is not the way it ought to be. So on the journey from Mara and beyond, how will the Lord heal Israel? What did he mean by that? How is Israel to be restored to health so that things might be the way they ought to be? Well, there are many prophetic references to a plan for restoration throughout the nation's troubled history in the wilderness and later after returning, returning to the promised land where Israel's faithfulness was alternately strong and weak, but mostly weak. And the prophets, speaking to Israel and Judah, uh, for God, proclaimed judgment for the nation's uh, corrupt living and religion. But they foresaw a future also wherein the Lord would restore his people to righteousness. They would someday do the right things in the right way, for the right reasons, all the time. Shalom. One well-known reference to this plan, this plan for restoration, is pronounced by the prophet Isaiah to Judah some 600 years after Exodus. 
It's recorded in Isaiah 53, 4-6, and this will be familiar to many of us. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, this familiar passage describes the work of the suffering and triumphal servant who would bear the sins of Judah. And it was by his wounds that they would be healed. This is clearly a messianic prophecy pointing to Christ who lived, suffered, and died on the cross to atone for the sins of the people of God for all time and in all places, not because they deserve it, but because of God's love. Here is the gospel in the Old Testament. The fullness of God's plan for blessing all nations through the descendants of Abraham. Christ is the means for Israel's healing and for ours. Crucified on a tree, like the tree cast into the bitter waters of Marah, to accomplish salvation and healing from the effects of sin. It's important to realize that this healing is entirely the work of Christ. Christ on the cross in behalf of God's people. Just as the tree had been the means for healing bitter water. It's not as a result of works that we do, not according to the righteousness of our own. Just as Israel proved unable to keep God's law, so are we unable to achieve complete righteousness. The righteous life that God requires has been provided by Christ. He lived a sinless life of perfect righteousness for us. And God has attributed his righteousness to us who trust that this is so. What does this healing achieve? It results in a new heart that's inclined toward God. In fact, the Bible says that we become a new creation, one that trusts Christ, the Son of God, for salvation from the effects of sin and for empowerment to begin to live on earth like he did. It leads to nothing less than a personal relationship with the living God in which there is no condemnation, no barriers of sin, no shame, and it brings us into fellowship with other Christians, the church, who are on the same path toward shalom, things as they ought to be.
the assurance of healing. The Lord declared that he is the healer of his people. That's his declaration. Do I trust him for healing today? And what kind of healing? Well, it is true. I am an elder. I've lived for 70-odd years. And 42 of those years, the Lord has walked with me. My family and I have experienced bitter water. There have been times when the Lord has healed and the times when he has not. As some of you know, I was married to my first wife, Susan, for 37 years. With three children and three grandchildren, there were some times of deep anguish and heartache, bitter water. But God brought us through with some blessed healing. At this point, I wouldn't trade any of those children for anything. At age 50 in the year 2000, Susan was found to have a brain tumor. And she lived with that cancer for 10 years. During that time, I saw her undergo surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, another surgery, more chemotherapy. And I also saw that dear woman grow in grace and faith. She struggled with doubt and bitterness and fear from time to time, but increasingly she rejected those and instead recognized the Lord's priorities. She determined to do what she could with the strength and energy she had and take the gospel where it was needed. As an elementary school teacher, her experience was useful for some short-term mission trips. When she learned that kids were involved, she volunteered, and volunteered me, to go with a team to Russia in 2004. She stepped far out of her comfort zone and participated there in a visitation ministry along with working with children. And the Russians that we met there loved her. And it was mutual. And then in 2008, she volunteered us again for a mission trip to Boma, Sudan, South Sudan, this time to help with a new school. And it was a wonder to see her work with those Merlay kids. And this is a primitive country, as you may know. The village is located seven miles from the dirt airstrip. And the road is so bad that on the return trip, we had to hike five miles out to meet a truck to take us onto the airstrip. 
And although significantly weakened by that time, Susan soldiered on, maintaining her sense of humor, mostly. Well, many times along the way, we, of course, asked the Lord to heal Susan of cancer. He did not. But he did heal bitterness and doubt, self-pity and fear. And by the time the Lord took her home in 2010, Susan was ready. But I was not. Jehovah Rapha soon began the healing process for me through a wonderful grief share group of Christian brothers and sisters. And then a year later, I became acquainted with a recently widowed lady who eventually became my wife. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Regarding healing, here are some things I am certain about. As one who trusts Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, I can be absolutely certain that ultimately, one day, I will be healed of all physical infirmities. I'm promised a resurrection body upon the return of the king. Along with the new body will come a new heart that will be fully inclined toward righteousness and the worship and enjoyment of God my healer forever. Between now and then, I will most likely be asking God to heal my aches and pains, my difficult circumstances, my heartaches. And I will earnestly ask for those things for you. I expect that our God will heal some of those things in order that we might rejoice and glorify him. I also expect that he will not heal all of the things I ask for this side of heaven. But that's not his main purpose. His primary purpose, remember, that for which a great price has been paid is eternal fellowship with me and with you, fellow Christian. And with anyone else here today who trusts him. And that fellowship can be experienced anytime, anywhere. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that there is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is Shalom, the way it ought to be. Now, as the worship team comes back up, 
I would ask that you pray along with me. Heavenly Father, how we long for healing of all manner of disease and brokenness. We are a needy people. You've proven yourself to be our healer, Jehovah Rapha. You have made a way for us to come near today and to experience you who are present, Jehovah Shammah. Perhaps to receive miraculous physical healing, healing of relationships, healing of circumstances, but most certainly the process of healing our sinful hearts day by day. May you be pleased to receive our offering of praise and worship here this morning. And for anyone with us today whose heart has not yet been reborn to life in Jesus Christ, I ask, Father, that you would open their heart to the gospel, that they would repent of their sin and surrender to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and be cleansed of all unrighteousness. In the precious name of Jesus, Amen.